Hi, how would you like to advertise on Conversations with Dwyer? You can advertise your band, a new album, your company, a service you provide, or just yourself, and it will be heard around the world, and it will live on that episode or multiple episodes forever. Email me at Conversations with Dwyer, and we could begin discussing how to get your advertisement up on an episode or multiple episodes of Conversations with Dwyer. Again, email me at Conversations with Dwyer at gmail.com. And remember, that ad will be heard around the world. Now, how about we enjoy this latest episode of Conversations with Dwyer? Welcome to Conversations with Matt Dwyer. I'm Matt Dwyer. This is a music podcast. And speaking of music, that song that played me in is called Undecided Voters. It's by Kiwi Jr. And it is on the album Cooler Returns. And you probably guessed it. Yeah, someone from the band is my guest today. And that would be Jeremy Godet. Uh, he's the singer and songwriter for the band. And he is my guest. If you like Kiwi Jr. or you want to explore more Kiwi Jr., you can go to my show notes, and uh, they have an album. Uh, that album is out on Sub Pop. They have two albums out on Sub Pop, and you could buy them, or you could stream it and then buy it. But you should buy it if you like it, because artists don't make any money from streaming. And speaking of show notes, and Matt Dwyer, uh, all things me are in the show notes as well. You can go to the link, and you could follow my social media. Um, the, the the conversations with Dwyer is my Instagram. That's a great way to know who's coming on the show, who's been on the show. And also, you could become a Patreon subscriber, which is a great way not just to support the show, but uh, you get a lot of bonus material. Like a couple weeks ago, I had Kid Congo on, and it was a two-part interview. The part two is only on Patreon, as well as there's videos. All the videos, oh, most of the conversations are video, so you could watch the video. There's always bonus content. Uh, usually most episodes have bonus content. Uh, and P Patreon subscribers get a pin, which was created by Charlene Yee. There's a lot of great things to be a Patreon subscriber. And if you can't, if that's a lot to ask, you could always just tell your friends about the show. If you like the show, tell your friends about the show. And um, that's that's a, that helps me out a lot. Just tell people about the show. And that that's very important. And I'm sorry, I'm a little amped up. And I, prior to recording this intro for the show, I finished up recording with Lou Barlow. And speaking of Lou Barlow, if you like the that if you like Lou Barlow or you like Kiwi Junior, you can uh, go and check out my old episodes because I've had a ton of great guests: David Pajo from Slint, Wayne Coyne from The Flaming Lips, Lisa Ambrosio from The Mar Magic Markers. Two of the people from the coat hangers, maybe the third person, Stephanie and Julia, uh, did the show. So I've had a rich library, or I still do. I still so check out the uh, check out the past library. There's a lot of great shows. There's over two hundred and something episodes. So enjoy, please do. And speaking of enjoying, I think that's it for my show stuff. Make sure to uh, buy music, and please enjoy this conversation with Jeremy Godet from Kiwi Jr. You musician guys are always ready to uh, record your own audio, I've noticed. Well, everyone keeps asking me to do it, and then I do it and I have issues. It's not in the right... Um, it's not at the right um, session rate, stuff like that. Oh, that's, that's weird. They ask you, don't... If they're asking you to do half the job, you should be offended. <laughs> Buddy. <laughs> hey, also, can you edit this for me? I just thought that would be cool if you could just do the edits. Well, we just did, like, two weeks ago, we did all of our radio sessions and uh, video sessions um, that had been piling up that we've been putting off um, because we weren't uh, able to get together. Um, and uh, we finally knocked a bunch out when it was you know, legal to do so and felt a bit safer to do so as a band. And then, um, yeah, man, it's, we're editing them all ourselves, producing them all ourselves, filming them and everything like that. And trying to match other people's specs that they're giving us. Oh, um, that's so yeah, there's a lot of DIY stuff happening, uh, in this, uh, 
time of the year for us. That's, uh, so you're just like on this vicious push to promote the, the album and, and, and whatnot. Cause you can't obviously tour. Yeah. So like any money that we would normally spend on touring or like resources, like, you know, time that we would spend planning tours and stuff like that, we're putting into trying to do more video stuff and, and, um, audio stuff we have like a comic book that's going to come out soon i haven't really announced yet um some other stuff like that that's pretty cool the comic book how did that come about um good question (laughs) i think it just sort of got there after a while because we were talking about um trying to come up with new merch ideas and so you know you start talking to an artist and it's like, oh, maybe it's not a t-shirt design. Maybe it's a poster. Then it's like, oh, wouldn't it be cool if we had, you know, a drawing like this for every song? And then from there, you kind of spin it into a little booklet. And then, yeah, before you know it, you have like a little comic book. It's not uh, done or anything yet. So I can't speak too much about it because who knows if it'll change again into something <laughs> different. Um, but that's what we're working on right now. Uh, you could go, I don't know if you're too young to remember, but Kiss did a comic book and they put their, their big gimmick was they put their own blood in the ink. (laughs) (laughs) It was the guy who, someone just got in trouble for doing that. Oh, Um, some guy just, um, came out with these fake Nikes and, uh, you know, had like some of the old Nike shoes had uh, like what looks like a gel bubble in the heel. Yeah. Uh, and it's his own blood. I think it was little, Nas X he came out with these shoes that he he told people were Nike but they weren't like the brand did, like you know denied them and everything and they were called the Nike Satans and they had blood in the heel or something I don't even know if you could buy them this is probably an internet hoax that I <laughs> didn't read enough about and now I'm talking about on air uh, well, I don't know if you guys get in trouble and stuff, that's all that's just free marketing. That's how you gotta, I, I would look at that, but that's, um, have you, have, has that been challenging to, in this time to try to find new ways to grab attention or, cause I can't imagine. Well, yeah, but for a band like us, that's kind of difficult to get it's kind of difficult to get attention anyways. Like if it wasn't the pandemic other than, you know, touring, like we're four 30 something white dudes, uh, with pretty mild personalities. We're not like making crazy TikTok posts or anything. Um, so other than just like touring and, you know, trying to put out cool videos and stuff like there's in a normal year, not much we can do to, to get press. Uh, well, I mean, it seems like you've got a lot of steam. I mean, Sub Pop has your, you've got their attention, so you must be doing something right in that department. Yeah, and like you know, we our our focus is always like on the actual songs, right? And trying to make a cool record, and then once that's done, you realize that you have such uh, a battle ahead of you to try to promote it, and it and it's can get. Um, you know, tiresome to keep at it. But if you don't promote it, it you really do a disservice to, you know, your own art. Um, and you don't want to be somebody like that who doesn't... Um, nobody ever gets to hear their stuff because they never played live or didn't promote it enough or didn't have any photos or anything like that because most of those people you haven't heard of, right? There's like a hometown guy who you're always like, oh, he's great. He just didn't want to promote his music right yeah like harry nelson didn't tour i don't think he uh, he hated to i mean maybe it was a different time in the early 70s but i'm like how did you i mean there was fewer like now there's just so much stuff coming out opposed to 1971 or whatever but it just seems like it just seems like wow you you didn't tour like i wonder if that would have and obviously he sold well but it's like how did how did you pull that off like wasn't the label pissed I think they were, but probably having John Lennon produce your record is pretty good press. Uh, yeah, that's a good point. That's a good point. 
<laughs> the Silver Jews never played live until the very end, right? Uh, and they did well too. But yeah. yeah, that's a tricky one, man. Yeah, it's. I don't know how many people can pull that off. I mean, do you feel like? Would you rather just be able to focus on records and and make those instead of all the? Because it seems like, especially today, it's like you got to have Instagram. You got to. It seems almost like. Uh, d- distracting, and it, is that? Would you rather just be like, let's just make records? I don't, I like playing live too. Uh, I like that part of it. Um, but yeah, you know, writing and rehearsing and recording and and playing live is all good. Um, and to an extent, the social media stuff and and interviews are are fun sometimes too. Um, but you know, this past year, everything's been entirely skewed towards social media. So that can get, you know, not so fun. Yeah. Did you feel like, cause I know you were there, I was reading how you were starting to headline. You were like, I think it was like 2019 you were heading to Europe to headline some shows. And then you had some headlining gigs back, I guess in, in the American continent. And I was like, is, has that been, was did those gigs happen or were those shut down by the covid so i'll give you the full 2020 timeline uh january the end of january last year uh we went to the uk and we had i think five headlining gigs that were great uh, really fun and then we came back and we did a short tour of um, some eastern canadian cities montreal toronto etc and those were really great. And we are really feeling good about the live show. And, uh, and then there's a small festival in New York called new Colossus. I don't know if you know it, but that's, uh, takes place in the mid middle of March. And so the night before we were supposed to fly to New York and we had three or four gigs in New York city. And this is before we signed a sub pop and, um, the sub pop, and our guy um, who ended up signing us, he was flying to uh, New York City to see these shows. Um, so everything was set there. And then we had South by Southwest after that. And then we were going back to the UK. Um, but the night before we were supposed to do this New York festival, uh, we were rehearsing. And then I checked my phone like in between songs. And it was the NBA has just canceled the rest of the season. And once you saw that, you kind of felt, oh, shit, this is going to be for real. You know, billion-dollar organizations don't just call it off for the rest of the year. Um, So we decided not to do that New York show. And, yeah, it was like that. I think that show was like March 12th or 13th. And it was like within days, like everyone was working from home up here. Um, It happened so fast. But yeah, we didn't get to go and do a bunch of the stuff we had booked, but we did get to go to the UK and if that was the first time we got to play there and that was fun. Was that I mean, that must have been a huge letdown to just to have that momentum building and then just have it the rug pulled out from under you? Totally, because we were promoting um the first record that was just um it was just kind of starting to pick up some momentum like um we were getting most of our big reviews, you know, like a Pitchfork and a NME, I think, or whoever else. All those came out in January 2020. So it was really this supposed to be the start of uh, promoting that album. And instead, uh, we ended up writing and recording a new one, which has been, you know, good in a different way. Yeah, I was curious about because that was a fast turnaround between uh, the albums. And I was, I didn't. I didn't do the math on that being due to the pandemic. I just, <laughs> I just, I was like, damn, that was fast. Yeah. The first one took a while too. like the first one was probably done in 2017 or 2018 probably. And then, it, you know, we shopped it around for a bit and then it got released and then it got re-released like a year later on a bigger label. And, and so it wasn't as short of a turnaround as people might think. If you just look at, you know, us release dates on, wikipedia or whatever so we did have a bit more time uh to get some new songs together and stuff but most of the work yeah it was done in the downtime that we had um between shows being canceled and and everyone you know not having much to do um yeah i was because i was also reading how you you felt more comfortable within your like your 
who the band was by that second album and more comfortable within your sound. I, I, of course, I'm totally paraphrasing what you said <laughs> because I don't remember exactly what you said, but in that regard. And how do you feel that developed to like from the f- first record to the second sound-wise? Well, I think it's pretty simple from where I stand in that uh, the first record, all of the songs uh, there are just the collect- a collection of all the songs that we had, right? Like we didn't sit down and, and try to map out an album. Um, it was just like, hey, we got enough songs for a record. Let's go into the studio and bang them out. Uh, and, you know, we didn't spend that much time combing over the lyrics. It was just kind of what I had worked up in practice and, and you know, gotten ready to do for live shows because you know how like (laughs) this, I feel like this happens in many bands, but in ours in particular, we'll be like practicing a new song and it's sounding pretty good. But as the lead singer, I have no words at all. And I'm just sort of like yelping and making stuff up (laughs) in the meantime. But like the other guys in the band are like, Hey man, that sounds great. Let's play that one this weekend. And I'm like, I can't, I can't do it. It's not going to make, I have nothing to say. There's not, it's not going to be good. And then, you know, I scramble to try to get something done so we can play it at, uh, you know, the next gig or whatever. And, um, yeah, so that was kind of like the football money songs, but then for the cooler return songs, we had way more time. And because we weren't, uh, getting songs ready for a show, we were getting them ready for an album. Um, you know, we didn't really care about live arrangements that much. It was kind of like making plans um, for how we're going to tackle them in the studio, right? Like you might write down, okay, there's going to be a keyboard part here and a harmonica part here and then this guitar part, uh, rather than just being in a room and doing it all live. Uh, it was a little more put together, I think. Was that, do you do the bulk of the songwriting or has it become a more collaborative? I write all of the lyrics. Um, and then, yeah, a lot of, most of the times I'll probably have the chords too, but I'll, like a lot of the main catchy bits and riffs and, and arrangements and things like that, other guys definitely have a lot of input on, a lot of ideas. When you said, you said, um, when they were like rushing, you're like, hey, let's do that song. And you said, I don't have anything to say. Do you, when you craft your lyrics, do you, uh, what do you go in with like okay i want to say this one specific thing because i read one thing where you you were talking about a song and you said i wanted to pick a location like you, i think that's what you said and i was like oh that's really interesting like that you picked i, I believe that's what you said i hope i'm not f- fucking that up <laughs> um i wonder what song i was talking about there's like a couple um really specific um i say story Sometimes it was, instead of saying like lyrics, but yeah, it was undecided voter. I believe is the name of the song. I might be. Oh wrong. yeah. Okay. That one for sure. Uh, yeah, I definitely did want to set something, some kind of, um, chaos inside of like a expensive art school just because that stuff really interests me. Uh, and I think I said in the same interview and I'll repeat it here. Uh, I had watched that movie election, the Alexander Payne movie with, um, I think it's Reese Witherspoon. Anyway, just like kind of like school drama that just gets heightened and heightened to the point where you forget you're watching something that takes place in a school. It's like it's bigger than that. And you kind of forget the setting Um, because you're dealing with big themes. Anyway, I was kind of thinking of that movie. And, yeah, I just wanted to do something in in art school. I don't know why. My friend was telling me about the art school that burned down in Glasgow twice. And I was thinking, man, that's bad luck. And also like, (laughs) so sad, you know, I don't mean to laugh, but it it just, that's just the, that is humorous. Your comment of, of, uh, that's bad luck. It it really is. And it, you know, if you think about that, like that's probably devastating for that. I don't really know how they got around it. Like if they, just held classes somewhere else or if there was just no art school for those years, I really don't know. And I hope that's not being ignorant, but it probably was a blow to the scene. Right. So, um, do you often just go into writing songs with nothing or, or do you do that? Cause I just find it interesting who, what you, 
how you go about picking what you want to say? Does it, what space that comes from? Um, sometimes it just starts with a simple image. I like to work, you know, mainly in, in evocative words where you can kind of picture things. Um, I can think of the song Norma Jean's Jacket. I had, I, what's the, the first line is what I had first. And, but the first line has changed since. And now it's, um, welcome the young detective in the rain. I think at f- the first time it was the handsome detective or something. I ended up changing it for syllabic reasons. But, uh, I just, um, I had this image of, uh, of a detective in the rain being really sad and, uh, watching his, you know, the person he was supposed to be following and, uh, and I just, I don't know, I think I saw it in a movie or something and I started describing it. And then the song kind of just spiraled out from there. But then once you get something down, you know, I might have a whole draft of of that idea. And then I have, might have another idea from something that didn't work out, that didn't become a song, but I still remembered things I liked about that second idea and I'll marry the two concepts, you know. And sometimes that can just result in a more... Um, I don't want to use the word confusing, but maybe, you know, a more interesting idea and you might, um, it might not be as, um, you know, straight and narrow of a road that you're on. Um, so I like to do that sometimes too. Do you explore other forms of writing? No. (laughs) (laughs) I was expecting a yes. (laughs) No, I mean, I, I took writing courses in college and, um, I would have written a bunch of just terrible short stories that pray to God are not available online anywhere. <laughs> Fingers crossed. <laughs> yeah. I, uh, I just thank God almost daily that I didn't like live in the era of when, uh, where people are just posting videos of themselves because I would have ruined my life. Like I would have just said <laughs> all kinds of horrible things and I would probably be living like in a cave somewhere uh, and not by choice. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, I read something that was interesting to you or about you. It was interesting to me and about you. Uh, the, the, one of the reasons you got into playing music is because you saw a guy playing the Mission Impossible theme song. <laughs> yeah, his, his name is. Um, oh, you. Right. Na- I know who it is too. His name was Sean. Uh, he was like a band guy, but he was like a cool band guy. Like he had like frosted tips and was. <laughs> he knew like a lot about new metal. I think he might have had like a corn shirt or something. Um, yeah, and he he seemed to be doing pretty good playing that Mission Impossible theme song. <laughs> what was it? Because uh, you said like you saw him get attention for it, and that's what inspired you to turn to music. And I just, uh, what kind of attention was he getting playing? <laughs> it, no, it it wasn't like he was getting girls or anything like that. I mean, we're talking about you know the band class. Uh, it was um. It just, I don't know. It just seemed cool. And, uh, I was already always into music before that. Uh, and my dad and mom are both really into music and dad had guitars or a guitar, um, that I would think I, maybe I was trying to learn, um, around that same time and maybe, you know, seeing other people in my class do it well was inspiring. Maybe that's what I was trying to say. Not that I wanted to be the guy in the corn t-shirt, but I probably <laughs> did at the time. Uh, that might be one of my favorite lines ever said on my podcast. Not that I wanted to be the guy in the corn t-shirt. Um, I probably did. <laughs> I don't know. Uh, did you, what did you, cause you play with your band is pretty much guys that you grew up with, right? So, yeah, sort of. Um, we're all from the same place. Um, I'm about three years younger than the next guy in the group. Um, but you know, Mike grew down, uh, down the street, grew up down the street from me, like probably six or seven houses and was uh, really good friends with my brother, my older brother. And so I, I knew most of those guys a very long time before we actually started, you know, becoming friends and playing music together. Yeah. But it's not like we were all, 
you know, good childhood friends, really, I'd say. How did you, how did it, I'm just always, I'm fascinated by how bands come together because it seems almost like a lot of chance, especially when the, you know, when they start becoming successful, it's like, fuck, like, it's just kind of random sometimes. Sort of. Um, our story is not super interesting. I <laughs> moved, I had moved to Toronto in, I think, 2014. Because um, my girlfriend was living here. And um, Broen, who plays drums, who I knew from back home, not super well, but I definitely, you know, I was friendly with him and, and knew him. Uh, he had already moved to Toronto about a year before. And um, we just started, uh, we liked the idea of, of starting a band. So it was just guitar and drums for a, a few weeks, maybe even a month or so. Um, and then all of a sudden Mike showed up he just moved uh, to Toronto to find work and, um, and we just saw him in a bar one night or saw him on the street or something happenstance and, and said, Oh, I didn't know you moved here. And we knew that he played bass um, in other bands uh, previously. And we just asked him to join. And then Brian joined about a year or two later um, when he had some time. And yeah, it really is not a very, it wouldn't make a good biopic. <laughs> But it's still kind of like random circumstance, you know, just bumping into an old pal in a bar and then the next thing you know, you're into a a band. Yeah. It, yeah, sure. I, I guess so, yeah. <laughs> uh, when did you start developing your interest in writing th- the songs or and lyrics? Like what, what began to draw you to that? Um... Probably the guy in the corn t-shirt <laughs> still. Um, I See, I didn't tell you, but I joined a band, his band later on once I got good. Uh, and we played uh, like a talent show in junior high where I just played rhythm guitar uh, and he played bass and there was another guitar player and a drummer and a lead singer. And we did like a Green Day cover. I think um, Brian Adams, Summer 69, maybe a blink 182 song or something i don't know um but yeah i don't know i I don't have a good answer for that but (laughs) were those bands you were into because i i mean i was in a band in high school and we played three songs uh and i didn't like any of the songs (laughs) but i was like well it's a band yeah i liked green day and blink and um but i think we also covered um what else did we do some other more like new metal stuff that I was not into. I liked I liked the more popular stuff better. Yeah, we did uh, a Grim Reaper song, a Maiden song, and I think another Maiden song. And I just wasn't a metal guy, and uh, the metal guys always beat me up anyway. So I think I think I played it deg- begrudgingly. Oh yeah, well I, we wouldn't have this. We would have been, you know, fourteen or something at this point, and definitely didn't have the skills to be playing anything maiden related. This was all paracords, uh, right? Well, I was just the shitty drummer, and believe me, I was very, very shitty. Um, but the, you were saying that, like, did your parents at all cultivate your interest in music or being around it? Like, what? Oh yeah. No, my dad bought me my first, uh, guitar and, um, and paid for me to go to guitar lessons, um, once a week for years. And, uh, they're very supportive. And, uh, cause I've, somebody asked you some of your influence and you were like, you're like, they were just kind of the basics, just, uh, Lou Reed and Bob Dylan. Is that stuff you got? via your dad or was that something or yeah uh, was that influenced by your dad and his music um yeah dad's a huge bob dylan fan uh he's got all the records and stuff and was always playing them growing up and i think he likes lou reed but that was something i probably picked up later but he's a big bowie fan and you know jackson brown and gord lightfoot all the all the guys that i like now um you know, dad was always playing those records did, and stuff. Did you say Gordon Lightfoot? Yeah. He's, he's Canadian, is he? 
I can't remember. Uh, yeah, definitely. <laughs> just, I just, I, I honestly, I, I did. Hey, man, that's one of our big ones. You can't second guess that. No, I, I feel ashamed that I didn't know. I'm just surprised because I don't. Uh, I mean, I know Gordon Lightfoot, and he was huge when I was a kid. But I just, I don't. It's not a name I hear dropped a lot, and I, it excited me to be quite honest. He's probably a lot bigger in Canada. Um. Yeah, he's. But I mean, he was in the seventies. He was pretty, pretty big. Yeah. Did you see him? Um, did you watch that Dylan documentary, the Scorsese weird one that came out on Netflix? Um, I didn't get to at the Rolling Thunder review. Yeah, I started it. I don't know how far I got into it, but were they were they big buddies? Yeah. Well, I don't know. Yeah, they probably they seemed a bit competitive, but. Um, yeah, there's a great scene where they uh, they're all at Gord's house in Toronto. Um, Bob and uh, and Joni Mitchell's there, and she plays a song. It's pretty wild footage. Did you? Uh, is there anything specific you could say that you took from influenced by uh, Gordon Lightfoot? I just got. I will. I never really listened to him much until like the last few years. Uh, but on this, on the new album that we just recorded, um, I think for sure I was influenced by um, the acoustic guitar playing. His, there's a lot of 12 string in his stuff. And um, there's also some Nashville tuning, um, which we used a lot on our record as well. Um, our, yeah, our album's mostly acoustic guitars, uh, whether we, you know, reamped them uh, afterwards or not um there's a lot of acoustics and uh and yeah also his um he's a really interesting guitar player and that his right hand does the more interesting uh thing than his left hand pretty much all the time it's his strumming patterns that's pretty unique like they did, his group didn't have a drummer for the first while um because he's such a percussive player and i've always been interested in people with you know, uh, special strumming techniques like, um, David Gedge of the wedding present blows my mind all the time. Uh, whoever the guy is from the band unrest, he's a crazy strummer and we didn't do a lot of that on, on the album, but that's something that I'm maybe I'll revisit on the next record. Um, do you, cause John, I was going to mention John Fahey cause John Fahey keeps coming up on my podcast. And I found it fascinating his, <laughs> since you were talking, but he's more of a, a picker. Yeah. I have a couple of his records. Um, I put on some time. I don't know him super well. Um, I have one of his albums. Are you a big fan? I've, I've only like, I've known about him and then he's come up so often in the podcast with like Steve Gunn and I just, Leah Wellbaum from Slothrust. Like it, he just keeps coming up that it's, uh, and so I started investigating him more. It's, I like it. It's, but it's not like, you know, something I, I'm going to probably consciously put on. Yeah. I have his first album, um, Blind Joe Death on vinyl, like a reissue that came out a few years ago that I'll put on sometime is nice. Um, I have a friend who's really into him who puts on some later stuff that's uh, pretty different, but yeah, I can't, I can't, I, I'm a fan, but I couldn't tell you, you know, too much about him. I'm not like the big, I'm, a, this is something that happens in interviews a lot and th this isn't your fault. Uh, but I'm a music fan, but I'm not like, I'm not like a music nerd in a way that a lot of my favorite musicians are. Do you know what I mean? And a lot of other contemporary musicians are like, I could tell you, like, I like the band Fugazi, but I couldn't name three of their albums. And like, I like the damned and, you know, anytime someone puts on a song from the first damned record, I'm like, Oh yeah, this is wicked. But I couldn't tell you like six damn tracks that I, my top six damn tracks that I like, I would probably run out at like four. Uh, I find it, but I, I, that's not totally uncommon. Like I've known other musicians or people or other people in creative worlds who are, they're like, I don't pay any fucking attention. I think George Harrison didn't listen to the radio. I, that was partly because of, uh, 
being sued for my sweet Lord. And I think he was just like, I can't listen to the radio ever again. Yeah. And I'd listened to a ton of music and I think I was a big music nerd up until about the age of 25. Uh, and I'm 30, I just turned 32 by the way. So, Oh, I mean like, (laughs) thank you, but (laughs) still I'm going to stand by it. Happy birthday. (laughs) Okay. Uh, it was in January. Maybe I used the word just incorrectly. <laughs> um, but I was like, you know, always, I was way hungrier um, for music uh, probably five, six years ago. Recently, I just go back to the same records all the time. Like, you know, like I was saying, um, Dylan, Lucinda Williams, Gordon Lightfoot, Jackson Brown, stuff like that. It's almost like comfort food these days where like music for me, I'm not like excited to hear a, somebody's brand new record i just kind of go back to favorite stuff do you find that helps keep your head clear for creating good question i don't know maybe probably not i mean probably someone who's constantly absorbing things is has the broader perspective on the bigger picture of what they're trying to accomplish you know if i put on highway 61 <laughs> every two days <laughs> i'm probably gonna not uh expand my <laughs> my art but i don't know you gotta balance that stuff i think yeah i i just i knew a guy who was really young and he was a co- comedic performer at the second city in chicago not the second city in toronto but he had this uh, reference level or this sort of approach that would give the impression that he was well versed in the history of comedy and he didn't and i was like so i and he didn't pay attention really to comedy and i just found that like and i was kind of wondering if and he was brilliant and he continues to like be a brilliant writer to this day and like on a lot of tv shows and i'm just like how the how does is how does that happen or and if maybe not paying attention to it frees you up to sort of uh, not judge what or get that like voice in your head that goes ah, I don't know about that that's so and so did that so maybe it's freeing in that way yeah I I don't want to give the impression that you know I don't have a big re- I have a pretty big record collection and like I do I do you know love listening to music but I just mean like I don't know some of my friends will be like my top five yellow magic orchestra b-sides are <laughs> and i'll know like the one hasono album you know i'm halfway there but you know i just yeah it's funny though like uh, during the pandemic um a lot of the press that i've been doing people are asking me to like make playlists and like pick five songs that matter to you and explain why. And at this point I'm running out of songs. I'm like, (laughs) can I pick, do I pick, you know, another Fiona Apple song that I really like, or do I have to, you know, start straying into stuff that I don't really like, uh, but just to switch it up. Why don't you just pick random songs and then put a random untrue story attached to it and see how that flies. Yeah, like my friend was listening to this record when he crashed his car. (laughs) Yeah, because it seems, I don't know, like I feel like when, for me, those kind of things change anyway. Like I have, I don't know, like what songs are meaningful to me seem to change with as life progresses. So it seems, I don't know, it seems unnecessary to be like, well, these are the five songs. Yeah. Yeah. I find that most, like a lot of artists um, are doing playlists and stuff these days. Um, and it's always so interesting to see, you know, what inspires people, or you know, what other people are listening to. And, um, most people are picking like stuff I've never heard of and, um, pretty esoteric, uh, things. I did one where I picked, it was for like BBC or something. And I picked a pulp song and it was like one of their singles. And somebody messaged me on Instagram being like, really? You know, just because they wanted to be turned on to something new that they'd hadn't heard before or something like that. And I just feel like that's the wrong approach. 
I'm going to be honest and tell you that like, I love the band pulp and I listen to them all the time still, you know? Yeah. I don't, that sort of, um, like, what would you call that? Could you call that snobbery? Like, uh, is, but it's not snobbery if, if you no not for me, if, you know, if you're in, no, not me, but for, you know, other people, like if, if that's what you're listening to and you're constantly being turned on to new stuff, that's awesome. Yeah. I, mean, I just, I, I just don't have the, uh, I just don't have the appetite anymore. <laughs> yeah, I just met the person who's like, really? Because it's like, uh, what? Oh, yeah, that guy's being a snub. Yeah, because I feel like, and I used to probably be a dick in that regards. And and then one day I was just like, you know what? I listen to a lot of things that are pure nostalgic and or nostalgia. And uh, people would probably be like, really? You listen to that bullshit? But it's like, it's specific to a moment in my life. And that's why it the song means something to me. Maybe it is garbage or overly listened to, but you can't judge people f- for that. It, it seems just asshole-ish. Yeah. And I think in my case, you know, I listened to mostly guitar music and um, there was so much guitar music coming out, you know, from 1970 to 2005 or whatever. <laughs> uh, like there's so much. And so like, that's where I'm going. And I'm not like someone who thinks new music sucks or anything like that. There's so many good bands out there. Um, but that's just generally where I'm reaching for on the record shelf. Yeah. You know, you were, you said in reference to Gordon Lightfoot, who I feel like, um, is having at least in, my circles i feel like he's having a resurgence but you were talking about like he, you said he's one of our biggies but i feel like and maybe it's just my awareness or whatever but i feel like there's a lot of great stuff coming out of canada and t- toronto these days i think i've had five or six canadians on quite recently oh really yeah i had uh alex from mets i had caitlin from um bad waitress uh, Madeline from PAX. Do you know? I don't know if you know any of these men. They're all, I think they're all Toronto. PAX isn't out yet, and nor has the episode, but, uh, and I feel, and I've been communicating with, uh, uh, Royal Mountain a lot, but it seems like, to, to me, there seems like there's a lot of stuff coming out of Toronto and Canada. Maybe it's a big place. Like, there's, um, there are so many bands in Toronto that I've never heard. Like I know, I know Mets, I've seen Mets and then they're, uh, they're on sub pop too. And, and I like them, uh, bad waitress. I know the name haven't, haven't had the chance to hear them yet. Um, but there's like so many groups. It's like, it's a, it's not only a, like a high, uh, a pretty densely populated city. It's, it's quite large, like, uh, you know, geographically it, the East end to the West end is, you know, you're, there's two different scenes, um, musically, socially, et cetera. Um, so it's, there's probably tons of stuff out there that I don't know. Yeah. I just, I've been to t- Toronto a bunch uh, and I love, I'm from Chicago originally. So it's like, they're very similar to me, especially somebody told me that too, that they're similar. Yeah. Um, I've never been to Chicago but someone told me that recently that that's kind of uh, what they would compare it to for a, a U.S. city. It's uh, it. I would say it's a cleaner, and you not probably your chances of getting shot are drastically less. <laughs> but other than that, uh, <laughs> and uh, okay. big big. Uh, you know, at the time I was visiting Toronto regularly, I was uh, hitting the bars a lot, so I really enjoyed the the old Toronto bar scene. Nice. Um. I, I, were you? Did you have a tour plan for the states? Have you not played in the states much other than New York? And uh, did you make it to South by Southwest, or was it dead by then? No, we didn't go to New York, and we didn't go to South by Southwest. But we did actually. One of our first shows was uh, in New York City in like two thousand five or something. Probably like our third show ever. Um, we're friends with the band Always. We're from Toronto, and uh, we got to open for them. Uh, yeah, like six years ago or something when we were a three piece still. And, uh, you know, 
good on them for having us, but I feel like we didn't quite have the chops to, to back up the size of the crowd we were playing to. Um, it was nice of them to have us though. How, how was that? I say I used to perform not in music, but like when you first go to certain places, at least for me, and maybe it's my own neuroses. Like I was always like, Oh man, I better fucking deliver. This is New York city. Like, was there any of that sort of internal intimidation or do you, did you not, did that not affect you? I think I was fine at the time. Um, yeah, there's pressure and I probably was like trying to, I probably overperformed a bit. You know what I mean? Yeah. I probably was like a little too into it. Given how that like no no one knew who we were or had never heard no one in Toronto had even really heard the songs before. Um, our drummer though he was really nervous and he did a um, right before we went on he went into the bathroom and he saw something written down like they have at this venue they had like uh, a big list of like people who had played there before and he's a big fan of the Strokes. And he had, he saw the Strokes had played here like New Year's Eve 2001 or something like that. And he got really excited and really nervous. And he went into the bathroom and, and uh, drank a big thing of Red Bull mixed with vodka. <laughs> and then came, came out like, he came out looking a little worse for wear, but we thought it would be fine. And, and then when we started playing, like it was great. He was smashing it. Uh, and then the last song of the set, it really started to kick in and we had to stop and start that song like three times, uh, but it was almost worth it for the, just cause it was just such a, you know, I think it was worth it just to have this funny memory. Uh, I, I drank vodka and Red Bull once cause it was free at some like shitty, sh- like gala or something that I somehow was in, got into. And it was the same thing where it was just like, Oh, this is pretty good. And then like, uh, it was just like, and the next day is just pure. That's just pure hell. Yeah. I've never, I've never drank that. I have no plans on doing it. <laughs> yeah. That's going to have a good 10 years to your life. If you uh, go that road. <laughs> and it makes me like, I'm not like an aggressive person at all like i'm not angry and like a fight starter but it sure clicks in those those things it like it just makes me a vicious asshole and i don't want to be an asshole yeah i don't do i don't do energy drinks or um coffee or anything like like i know caffeine for me please that's i uh, coffee i do do you what what was the venue in new york uh, it was the Bowery Ballroom. Oh yeah, that's. Uh, I lived in New York briefly. Did you like being? Had you been to New York at all before? Or was that like the first time in the Big Apple? <laughs> no, I'd been there before, um, but it's definitely the first time playing there. Um, yeah, I love New York. Yeah, I'd lived there briefly. It's a kick in the teeth to live there. It's a whole different ball game than than visiting. I thought I was going to be wildly in love with it, and it's just I immediately was like, "Oh, um, where did you live?" I lived in Spanish Harlem at 117th, and then I lived a little bit in the West Village. And by that, I mean I crashed on a friend's couch for a couple months when I was right. But that was like I was like, "Oh yeah, if you had." West Village money, then yeah, New York would be a great place to <laughs> to live. Yeah, yeah. If you're yeah, see, in my mind, living in New York uh, is like I think of I would go there and instantly just be in Seinfeld and like yeah, I'd <laughs> live in like Jerry's apartment and it would be like pretty chill. Uh, but actually, yeah, I know I. I have an ac- more accurate idea of what it's like after being there a few times. It's just not uh, if you if you're someone who uh, uh, really uh, desires some quiet, like you don't really get any. Like your apartment's going to be loud. There's going to be always some kind of noise, and I I think that probably was just slowly was wearing on me. Where I was like, I can't. I just need to go somewhere so I can think for five minutes. Just give me five minutes without a sound. Yeah, so you go to the park and then that's where you run into real trouble. 
Yeah, that's where the that's and just like the whole. I don't know. People are like that's New York, and I'm like, yeah, you don't have to live like this. You got a rat in your apartment. That's not. There's no charm to rats in your apartment. We got those here too. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we got we got them. Yeah, they're all over. Uh, so do so. What is do you guys have any plans? Like, are you planning for what's post pandemic or? Um. Yeah, we're gonna try to make a new record. Like we're um, we're constantly on email, um, sending demos back and forth. You know, different riff ideas and things like that. There's a um, a Gmail thread that we have that's got loads of <laughs> you know seven second wave files. Hey, check this out. And it's like bam, 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 bam. And uh, you know, somebody has to interpret that guitar riff and try to see if that's going to make a good song. <laughs> um, because when you're not meeting up in person um, to write, it takes a lot longer. But yeah, we want to, you know, follow this up, try to put out a record as um, as soon as we can. And yeah, we're you know we're talking about tour dates, but it's just it's impossible to foresee when that's actually going to be safe to do. Is there uh, is there any uh, has that approach of emailing shit or not shit? Excuse that word, but like e- emailing. You can you can say that. <laughs> I didn't mean like implying that it was shit. Like you know what I mean. Uh, I was just being inarticulate. Uh, but it, it, have you found any inspiration within that? Like, does that having that weird? I because I once like started like just due to work. I was like writing on a bus, like I would do my writing while I was taking a bus to work, which was two hours, and I just found like just having a completely different environment or f- way of doing it changed my perspective. And I was just wondering if that is sort of similar with emailing s- songs back and forth. Uh, I would say so far it hasn't been super lucrative, like. Um creatively if that's the thing um you know it's super inspiring i mean uh but i know what you're saying like the on the last record um we were um we got in the habit of writing things down physically we had this big binder that we were um i would write all the lyrics in and then if other guys had ideas i would get a text being like hey put this in the binder uh this song verse two uh piano comes in on the offbeat and you know i don't even know what that means but i'm writing it in pen in this giant you know five-star binder but then when we're in the studio somebody's flipping through it and say oh yeah i had this idea this would be cool um so gmail maybe it'll take off soon um for kiwi jr but right now it's it's we're just in the early stages great well thank you very much for your time jeremy i greatly appreciated it Cool, man. Well, thanks for having me on your pod. Thank you very much for listening to Conversations with The Wire. Please become a Patreon subscriber. If you like, also subscribe to the show on your iTunes or what have you not, and tell your friends about the show. That would mean a lot to me. As well as uh, go to the link tree in the show notes or com or Conversations with Dwyer at the Instagram, and you could learn more about the show, buy merch, and all those great things. Thank you very much for listening.